So people of God in Christ, last time we started in on Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and we first reviewed uh, what we know about Paul. Sometimes it doesn't help to learn uh, more about the writer of your favorite book. You you might find out something rather unsavory, uh, thus deflating your enthusiasm for his or her work. But that's not the case with the Apostle Paul. There is plenty to learn about Paul that is unsavory, uh, but knowing it serves to see the change in Paul and to understand his humility. Thus, having identified himself, Paul, as the writer of Romans with the first word, he also identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He goes on then to claim his apostleship, but it seems terribly significant, um, that he first speaks of being a servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. And yet he was an apostle too. This is how he was serving Christ. This is the job, the assignment that Christ had given him to be an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent. In other words, uh, a messenger, one given to to go and declare a message. And, and what was the message that Christ uh, had given Paul and sent him to deliver? Paul refers to it as the gospel of God. And then summarizes it uh, as concerning Christ, the God-man, uh, as we say. The gospel of God is concerning Christ, who was descended from David, thus the humanity of Christ, and who was declared to be the Son of God as God raised him up, as the Spirit raised him up in his resurrection, thus the divinity of Christ, and all for the sake of the obedience of faith within the church. We're going to come back to these words of Paul uh, in a later sermon, the obedience of faith, when when we hear more of Paul's teaching and can better discern what he means by the obedience of faith. For now, we can understand Paul to be referring to the salvation that comes to sinners as the gospel of God is proclaimed both in Paul's day and in our own. And yet, in the end, last time, the the overriding theme was the call of Christ. Uh, Paul speaks of his own calling to be a disciple a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he speaks of the believers in Rome as those called to be saints. The call of Christ had had changed Paul from being a, a dedicated enemy of Christ and a vicious persecutor of the church to being a servant of Christ and one who loves the church dearly. And so Paul understood that it was the same powerful call of Christ that had made saints out of sinners to form the church in Rome. He addresses his letter thus to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the place to start as we, as we continue on, uh, starting in verse 8. Last time, the title that we used was, By the Call of Christ. This time, the title is, By the Power of the Gospel. 
which comes most directly uh, from verse 16. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, the gospel itself is, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But the theme of God's power in the gospel begins already in verse 8 of our text. So let's start there. The first point is thanksgiving for the church. Because Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. We need to understand the significance of of this expression of thanks to God made by Paul. Uh, It would be too easy just to take it for granted. You know, it's a polite passing way uh, of starting his letter. But Paul really means it. What does it mean to give thanks to God for the church? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, writes Paul. Even more, the specific thing about the church that Paul gives thanks to God for is their faith. I give thanks to God through Jesus Christ, he writes, for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Which means that Paul is ascribing unto God. He is giving full credit to God for the existence of the church in Rome by their faith. Here's my annual opportunity to uh, speak of a certain pet peeve that I have, uh, although I don't think it, it, it's just a, a pet peeve. Uh, a pet peeve is usually something small that, that just bugs you. Uh, this, I don't think, is a small matter, and I think it ought to bother all of us greatly, especially if we find it in ourselves. You're wondering what I'm talking about. Well, it's the, the, it's the cultural trend and practice of only saying, I am thankful for. Here we are in November, nearing Thanksgiving Day, and at this time of year, our culture is all abuzz with thankfulness, or so people claim. I am thankful for, they say, going on to name persons in their life or possessions that they own that are valuable and and meaningful to them. But consider that to be thankful means that you are full of thanks. Consider also that thanks is something that you give, which is why we speak of thanksgiving. And consider further that you can't give something, including thanks, unless someone is receiving what you give. If you tell someone, uh, I gave away $1,000 today, they would probably uh, ask you, oh, who, who did you give it to? And it would make no sense whatsoever to say, oh, no one in particular, I just gave it. But who, who did you give it to? Who received the, the money that you, that you gave? No one. I, I just gave it. I mean, call the doctor and, and, and get yourself an appointment. That, that makes no sense. You, you, you haven't given a gift until someone receives it. And why should it be any different with thanks? So what do people often mean when they say, I am thankful for? 
Well, all they really mean is, is that something they have is valuable and, and meaningful to them. And, and that's fine, whether, whether for them or for us, to identify things that, that we have that are valuable and meaningful to us. But don't claim to be thankful for them when you haven't given thanks to anyone in particular. And if we want to be really nerdy about it, uh, uh, we, could, we could point out that the, the verb to thank is a transitive verb that even requires a direct object. In other words, you can't just thank. You can smile, you can laugh, but you can't just thank. If someone asks you, what did you do yesterday? You, you wouldn't answer, I thanked. And if someone does something nice for you, you, you don't just say, I thank. Instead, you say, thank you. So to be truly thankful, can we see, you must be giving thanks to someone, even better, at the same time, referring or naming the thing which you're giving thanks for. Paul does both things. First, he thanks God. Further, he thanks God for the church in Rome, which means that he sees the church in Rome as a gift from God, existing because God has done it. God has established it. So the church in Rome is, is certainly something that Paul values and, and, and is meaning, it's meaningful to him. But even more, he gives thanks to God. And how does he know that there is a church in Rome? Because their faith was being proclaimed in all the world. And this draws in faith as, as the gift of God as well. If we, if we uh, want to support our Reformed conviction that faith is not by the free will of man, but is the gift of God, well, we might choose uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, where God's word says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. But it's not the, it's, it's not the same thing being taught by Paul in Romans 1, verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul even begins other letters in the same way. First, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, he writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4, he writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul does the same thing in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, but perhaps he is most clear in his thanks to God for the faith of the church in Colossians 1 verse 3, where he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So remember that Paul is, in a sense, working his way up to the declaration, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But he begins by saying, 
much the same thing simply by thanking God for the faith of the believers in Rome. If Paul were a, a politician, he, uh, he would be thanking the people for their support. He would be thanking the Roman Christians themselves for believing the message that he has committed his life to. But Paul is not a politician. He is an apostle who understands by personal experience the power of God to change hearts and lives. And while somewhere else he calls himself the chief of sinners, Paul knows that all sinners need the power of God to work faith in them and to establish them with the others all together to form the church of Jesus Christ. Next, as a second point, Paul expresses his concern for the church. Continuing with verse 9 and following, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, we might want to say, well, why is Paul so concerned for the church in Rome? Why, why is he so eager to visit them and help them? If God is responsible for the existence of the church by faith, why get involved? First, because it was his calling. Paul was a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. His, his ministry was to see the church established and encouraged. But further, therefore... It's because he knows God uses means. We can, uh, we can pick it up through Paul's introduction that, that he, he, he wasn't the one whom God used to plant the church in Rome. But as Paul himself writes elsewhere, one plants, another waters, but only God can give the growth. So Paul, it would seem, was, was looking to do a bit of watering. He hadn't planted the church. He had as far as we know, never been to Rome. But he was eager now to have a ministry among the believers there that he might be the answer, really, to his own prayers for them. And there's another lesson for us. I think uh, it's well and good and exactly as it should be that we pray for others. But why not seek to be the blessing that we seek from God? Being separated from the church in Rome, Paul was left only to pray for them. And let's not say, uh, as it sometimes uh, gets said, uh, well, all we can do now is pray. As if to say, woe is us, we can only pray. Prayer is a good thing, as, as James says, even a powerful thing. And not because of us, but because God works through prayer. So we shouldn't resort to prayer as if it was the, the very last, least little thing that we can do for others. But neither should we limit our ministry to prayer if we might get up from our knees and be the blessing that we have asked God for. Consider the faith and attitude of the Apostle Paul. He writes, God is my witness, whom I serve with 
with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers but but what does he ask that somehow by God's will I I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you and in verse 15 again so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome so let us be eager Let's be eager both in prayer and eager in action to be a blessing to the church starting right here at home. We have the practice each Lord's Day of uh, of praying each week for a a different uh, sister church within our presbytery. prayed this morning for Selma, RPC. Uh, I hope that's a model for each of us in our personal prayers throughout the week as well. But otherwise, we, we could and really should go a step further and, and seek to know how to pray, what specifically to ask for as we pray for each church. Uh, two weeks ago, leading up to uh, last Sunday, uh, I got a phone call from an elder at Southside Church, and uh, he explained that Southside would be praying for, for Terre Haute that Sunday. And, uh, and he had been assigned to call and to ask how they, how they should pray for us, and, and, and I was struck by that. And, uh, and I had the privilege of answering his question, and, and even more basically, I had the privilege, privilege of just knowing that indeed uh, that church was, uh, was praying for us that Sunday. I should have mentioned it to you. I don't think I did, but uh, try to do that better in the future. But I do think that that prayer gets misunderstood in our day. Oh, I wanted to do one more thing. I got this this morning. It's not written into my sermon, but I I got uh, an email this morning. Now I'm probably not going to be able to find it. I got an email this morning from uh, uh, Pastor Eshelman in Orlando. Yes, we have a we have a church in Orlando, Florida, and. Uh, of course, you know that because we've prayed for Orlando before. But he, he says, brothers, he's writing to all the churches in our presbytery. Brothers, earlier, in accordance with the directory, I sent out the notification of ruling elder ordinations and installations. Today is the day we are ordaining and installing Kevin Duffy and Alejandro Ramirez to the office. Would you pray for us as a congregation? How timely. Um, how timely to receive uh, that uh, email uh, even this morning as another example of how churches, sister churches within a presbytery, within a denomination, within a city, we can, uh, we can be praying for each other. But I do think, which is what I started to say, I do think that prayer gets misunderstood in our day. Uh, the church often ends up in the ditch, so to speak, on one side of the road, or on the other, uh, the ditch on one side of the road is to think that prayer matters little and should only be the last resort, uh, a strategy of retreat when nothing else is left to do but pray. But the ditch on the other side is to pray first, to pray much, yet forgetting that it's God's power at work through prayer that brings the blessing. The Apostle James even goes so far as to say, you do not have because you do not ask. 
So let us pray. Let us ask of God. And James also writes, the prayer of a righteous man has, a righteous person has great power as it is working. And James wasn't making up uh, his own theology of prayer. He, he surely knew of the Lord's own teaching. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. The one who seeks, uh, the one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened, said Jesus. But in the end, as, as we receive and find and have the door of God's blessing open to us, Let us give thanks to God and ascribe the power to Him. Think think of a scenario where where someone is is in trouble, and and so they do what at other times they forget to do and neglect to do. They pray. We've all been there, I'm sure. Then God blesses them. They are delivered from their trouble. and, And what testimony do they give? Testimony to the power of prayer or testimony to the power of God in answer to prayer for the sake of Christ. If someone asks, oh, wow, you, you have recovered from a serious illness. Should they say, or should, should someone say, yeah, it was, it was the power of prayer. You should try it. It really works. Clearly, the better testimony is to say, thanks be to God. Thank people for their prayers for you, but tell them who have been praying for you that you're thanking God for answering their prayers and bringing you the healing or the solution to whatever you were facing. As the psalmist writes in his uh, praise to God, blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. And so finally, this third point, the power of the gospel, because it's, it's equally true of God's blessing for salvation, that, that it may come by many prayers, but never apart from the power of God, and never apart from the power of God through the gospel. Paul writes in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here is really not just a a teaching from God about the power of the gospel, but it's even Paul's confession. It's it's a declaration of Paul's faith. And, 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 And the word for at the beginning makes it clear that this is not something new that he's moving to now, Uh, but it's connected to what Paul has already written. He has given thanks to God for the church in Rome. He has ascribed to God the faith of the believers in Rome. Yet he has expressed his earnest desire to, to come to them, that even as he has prayed for them, he himself might be the blessing from God that he seeks for them. But it's all because of the power of the gospel. Paul would preach the gospel to those who are in Rome because the gospel is the power of God for his blessing upon the church. And why does Paul declare that he is not ashamed of the gospel? Because although he hasn't mentioned it outright, he had certainly come to know 
what also the church in Rome had already learned, that the gospel is only foolishness to so many who hear it. Preaching of the gospel brings mockery from the world upon the one who preaches as well as upon those who are given to believe. It's the devil's way of trying to stop the gospel, to limit the power of the gospel, and it works. There will always be some who, who maybe don't mock, but because of those who do mock, they stay away from the church for fear of the world's scorn. There will always be others who first hear the gospel and, and seem to believe it, but the scorn of the world proves stronger than their faith, and, and they very, very sadly fall away. From the parable of the sower, they are, they are like the seed sown among thorns were, which, which choke them and, and keep them from continuing. And therefore, Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he is not only confessing his own conviction, he is also calling the church, he's calling us to do the same. I am not ashamed of the gospel, declares Paul, and here's why, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, some want to read this and say, well, see, the gospel is powerful only if, only when we believe it. But clearly, that's not what Paul is saying. He is not saying, oh, let's let the gospel be powerful by believing the message of Christ. It's clear because he's already written, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. See how important it is to understand what true thanksgiving is. It's not just my pet peeve. It really is a work of the devil to confuse people about what thanksgiving is uh, as if just expressing that you value something, that something is meaningful to you in your life. That's not giving thanks. To be thankful requires that you give thanks to someone. Paul is truly thankful because he is thankful to God, and he is thankful to God for the faith of the believers in Rome, and he is thankful to God for their faith because God had given them faith and now he makes it clear how God had given faith to the believers in Rome. It wasn't Paul who preached it, but faith had come to them. Faith had been worked in them by the preaching of the gospel to them. And brothers and sisters, here is our great comfort and encouragement in, in preaching the gospel yet today, that power belongs to the Lord. In one sense, all we have to do is preach the gospel. But when we say that, all we have to do is preach the gospel, let's not say it in the sense of, well, all we can do is preach. No, God works through prayer, and God works through the preaching of the gospel. It's no small thing to preach the gospel. It is finally to wield the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, not if they believe, but so that they are brought to believe in Jesus Christ and are saved. And here is our, our great comfort and encouragement in our own faith. Where did our faith come from? 
And we can answer that God gave me to be raised in a Christian home. Uh, Or before I believed, God brought Christian friends into my life to witness to me. Uh, Justin has testified to that. Um, Or God moved me to to pick up a Bible and, and start reading. And along the way, I know that many people were praying for me. We can point out all these things so that I believed. But no one believes apart from hearing the gospel. As Paul writes elsewhere, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Therefore, our great comfort is that God has saved us by his power through the gospel. And the same gospel by which we have been saved is a gospel that preserves us as well. Why does Paul want to go and preach the gospel to believers in Rome? They're already Christians. They've already believed. But they need to keep hearing the gospel in order to preserve them, in order to remind them of all that is is theirs, all that belongs to them in Christ, so that they too will not be ashamed of the gospel in the face of the world's mockery and, and scorn. So, brothers and sisters, let us not be ashamed of the gospel, because why should we be ashamed of the power of God? Why would we ever be ashamed of that grand and glorious message that God used by the preaching of it to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ? Let the world mock and scorn. Let us continue to hear the gospel. And by the gospel, let us continue to receive the the powerful, saving and preserving ministry of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your call not to be ashamed of you and of your word. We hear Paul confessing his faith and and thereby calling us to confess as well that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, Lord, grant it by your spirit that we would be strong that we would forego the, the, the respect of this world, that we would recognize in the gospel that it is everything to us. It has been and it will be and always is the, the power that gave and also the power that keeps faith within us with each passing day. Let us hear the gospel with joy and with gladness and let us be faithful to the end. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.